I've got a little bit of a controversial start to my message today. I sometimes like to pick things that kind of catch you a bit and go, oh, hang on a second there. A guy called Phil Lytle, when I was doing some research on the carol that I'm going to be looking at today, I came across an article entitled this, Away in a Manger is the worst Christmas song ever. Away in a manger, now I would say that there are lots of songs that could definitely compete with it, if that, even if that was true. Uh, but he goes on to give five reasons uh, why he would say that Away in a Manger is the worst Christmas song ever. Uh, he says it's biologically fraudulent, it's emotionally manipulative, it's poorly written, it's patronizingly ordinary. It's just like lots of big words. And it's theologically bankrupt. I don't think Phil Lytle likes this song. I just, I have a little hunch. I wonder as you look at that, and I wonder if you think about your own view about Away in a Manger. I wonder what memories you have of that song. I wonder what your childhood was like. Because many, if not most of us, learn this song as one of the first Christmas carols that we can actually sing. I wonder what your recollections of this song are from your life. And I wonder if for some of you, you might look at that list and go, Amen, brother, preach it! Or maybe that isn't the case. Is it really that bad? Well, that's what we're going to examine today as we continue in our series looking at carol theology. No matter whether or not we might love carols or not, it is really important that we actually take some time and see what they have to say. Uh, sometimes, because we know a song so well, we can actually catch this as just singing it with a gusto without ever actually examining what are these words that we're singing. And are they significant? Are they true? Are they accurate to the story that they're singing about? So today we're going to look at Away in a Manger. We're going to examine, is it the worst Christmas carol ever? Uh, is it theologically bankrupt? Is it patronizingly simple? Is, is it any of those things? Well, maybe there's a little bit of truth or maybe it's completely fabricated. But let's take some time to have a look at that today. Uh, Firstly, we have the carol is one of the most beloved. So irrespective of what Phil might think, and irrespective of what you might potentially think, it is consistently voted in the top 10 most loved carols. Now, I actually looked at a number of things when I was researching. For, I just didn't want to find one thing that said this, but multiple surveys when I looked up what are the top Christmas carols, what are people's favourites. And again and again and again. In fact, I don't recall finding a list of top 10 carols that didn't include Away in a Manger. It's just one of those quintessentially Christmas carols. It was first published back in the 1800s. Uh, and we don't really know exactly who wrote it. Uh, originally, it was called Luther's Cradle Song. So originally, it was called Luther's cradle song. So it was basically seen to have been something that Martin Luther wrote uh, and then others beyond that came along and actually added to it. The only challenge with that idea is that there's absolutely no evidence whatsoever of a German version of the song. The only way we have it is in English. Uh, Martin Luther wasn't English, in case you didn't realise that. He was German. He wrote in German. He spoke in German, Latin, Hebrew and Greek. 
Uh, and so almost certainly we can say that Martin Luther probably had nothing to do with the writing of this carol. But it's a nice idea uh, that this is a carol that Martin Luther wrote and maybe there were some writings that inspired it. Maybe there was something of that nature. Who actually wrote this? We just don't know. But as we head into our first verse and as we start to have a look at it, now the first verse is really quite simple. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the bright sky looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. Uh, actually, as we get started, one of the great things we can start with is this part of the carol is actually pretty accurate. I mean, as much as any kind of song which is going to have a level of artistic expression within it, uh, some of what this is speaking to here is actually fairly accurate to what we know of the Bible story. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, uh, this part comes from Luke chapter 2. Uh, it's verse 8 to 12 uh, and then verse 16. So we're just looking at that little section. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. Now, the very premise of this song being called Away in a Manger actually is accurate to the story. What isn't accurate and where some songs get arise when they start to sing about being in a stable, that Jesus was born in a stable. Uh, and that is basically taking a contemporary understanding of where you find mangers and putting it back into a first century context of the way people lived. But actually what happened in those days was many if not most of your simple houses, so not your rich and alight, but the everyday houses, actually had a part of the house towards the back, which is where the animals slept at night. It was part of the normal house. It wasn't a separate room away to itself. Uh, because basically, if you had animals, you needed to look after them. You were getting up in the night, you're doing what you needed to do, and you weren't going out to some separate place. Your manger, which is actually there, is sitting there just in that portion of the house. So this carol gets it right. Some of our carols that talk about Jesus being born in a stable, that's a, basically an understanding of what a stable would be like today compared to what it actually would have been like at the time. But it was told right here that they would, they would have found Jesus lying in a manger. This is not where you would expect to find a king. This is certainly not where you would expect to find the Messiah. And yet this is what the shepherds were told. There's something significant about the reality that Jesus was born and he was laid in an animal's feed trough. That the King of kings and the Lord of lords would be born in such a way that it wasn't in pomp and ceremony and in the rich of the richest house, but actually that he would be laid down in a manger. It's what it was told to expect, 
and that's what I found. So the first verse actually gets a big tick. Uh, it's actually fairly accurate to the story. Uh, the next verse is where we start to get some thoughts around whether or not it's accurate. Uh, and this is in verse 2. Verse 2 says this. The cattle are lowing. The baby awakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I love thee, Lord Jesus, look down from the sky and stay by my cradle till morning is nigh. Uh, this line here, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. That's one of the lines that got Phil's uh, attention that he didn't particularly like. And the reality is that it actually touches to something that is theologically important. Jesus was entirely human. It was actually important that Jesus was not some supernatural thing, that he experienced life as a child, just like all children. I have a baby. I think I said this recently over here. I can tell you right now, definitely there's some crying that is made. If Jesus was a fully-fledged human, absolutely Jesus cried. Now, again, this is some artistic expression that's given, but it's important to recognise that the reality is uh, if Jesus was to do what he came to do, if Jesus was to be incarnate, if he was to be with us, then he was going to experience life just like every one of us. But this is also an encouragement to us because we cry. We experience pain. We experience different emotions and different aspects. And one of the things that can happen in Christianity is we kind of almost say that if you're going to be a good Christian, you're not going to cry. If you're going to be a good Christian, you're not going to experience emotion. You're not, because you should always be happy and peppy because isn't it great to be a Christian and it's great to be here today. And if you're not feeling great, then there's something wrong with you. And it's just not accurate. Now, Jesus wasn't crying because he was sad, because he had some great big you know, thing going on. He would have cried because he was a baby and he was probably hungry for food. But it is fair to say that this line can lead you down the wrong path. The idea that Jesus didn't cry is just not true and just not accurate to what would have been the experience of Mary and Joseph. Uh, Hebrews 2.17 says this, For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Uh, we continue down on the, the next section. Uh, and the next section of it talks about, uh, look down from the sky and stay by my cradle till morning is nigh. Uh, what's going on here is a little bit of an artistic expression. Oh, too far. Now, this is where there's a lot of discussion about this. Was Jesus up in the sky or is Jesus down by the cradle? Or is Jesus in both places? Okay, we know that Jesus can be in all places and that God is omnipotent and all those sort of things. Uh, this is an artistic expression. 
Some people have problem with this carol because it's kind of saying a couple of different things. What this verse is trying to get across is whether you see Jesus as being above and looking down on you and that sort of warm and loving place, or whether you experience God being beside you, whether you experience it like Jesus is sitting there with you, what this carol is trying to remind us of is that this is just a prayer that God would be close to us. This is, this is just the cry of someone saying, God, I need you. I need you to be close to me. I need to know that you're in my life. I need to know that you're looking over me. I need the comfort that comes from you. And so for sometimes that knowing that God is actually looking down from above and he has everything under control because we don't feel like everything's under control. And sometimes it's having him sitting beside us, being our friend, just not having the, not having the words to share, but actually just sitting there with us in the midst of what we might be experiencing. So this is definitely an artistic expression. Don't get too hung up on whether or not he is up in the sky or down by your cradle. Uh, I think that potentially is starting to stretch it to take a little bit too far. Uh, verse 3. Be near me, Lord Jesus. I ask thee to stay. Close by me forever, and love me, I pray. Bless all the dear children in thy tender care, and fit us for heaven to live with thee there. What's going on in verse 3? Uh, there's a couple of things we can look at. Now, the first thing to say is this verse, and in some cases this is actually the fourth verse, there's other versions that have another verse before this. In almost every version of the song that we have from the earliest times, this verse isn't part of it. All the earliest examples of this song do not have this third verse or fourth verse, as it actually would be. And part of the reason why that people have a go at this one is that all of a sudden the song goes from being a first-person song to being, sorry, being a third-person song to now being in the first person. Uh, it, it changes the way that it's actually looking at things. And it's almost certainly the case that this was a later verse added by someone else, which is actually nothing to be surprised by. If you hear last week, we talked about the fact that copyright wasn't a thing. Uh, back in the times when most of our carols were written, this is why so many carols have the same tune, have so many bits and pieces that are shared across them, because it was completely normal for you to take something that was already written, add a bit extra, and then release it as your own thing. It, it's just how things were done at the time. And so almost certainly this verse was someone really liked those first few verses and just wanted to add a little bit on top of it just to really round it out because it didn't quite have everything that it needed to have. And so then that's become the verse that's really taken off or the version that's really taken off. Uh, but almost certainly this was not part of the original carol. One of the things that is pulled out from this verse sometimes uh, is this idea that you would have to pray that God would love you. Now, I think it's a little bit of a stretch, but I decided that I actually wanted to speak to it because it is one of the reasons some people have trouble with this carol is the idea that you would have to pray that God would love you. And love me, I pray. It, it almost speaks to someone who's sitting there wondering, 
does God love me? I need to pray that, that, you know, look beyond all my stuff and just please love me, God. And we all know that that's just not an issue. In Romans 5 verse 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If there's one thing that we actually never need to pray for, I'm not saying that we don't pray for it, but one thing that we actually never need to pray, we never need to pray that God would love us. He already does. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. The whole reason we celebrate Christmas is we celebrate that Jesus came. And the whole reason Jesus came was because God loved us so much. And so wherever you might find yourself out in life and whether you might find yourself out in faith and whether, whether you're sitting here today and no matter what might be going on in your life right now, there is one thing you can hold with complete confidence. God loves You don't need to hope that that would change. You don't need to hope that that would happen. You don't need to pray that God would love you. God loves you. And then this verse kind of moves on to another bit. Bless all those dear children in thy tender care and fit us for heaven to live with thee there. Uh, this sort of speaks of uh, John 14 verses 1 to 4. So if someone's sort of praying, help us to be ready, help us to be prepared, to be with you, God. And John 14, verse 1 to 4, we find this. Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house have many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. And take you to be with me, that you may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. One of the things that Jesus wanted to make clear to those who were following him is that he was going to go away. And it should not have been a surprise. It was, but it shouldn't have been a surprise to the disciples when Jesus departed. He was pretty clear. You see story and story and story again where he says, I'm going to be going, I'm going to be leaving. And in this passage here, he gives great clarity to us. I'm going to go to prepare a place for you. And there will come a day that I will return and there will come a day that you get to be where I am. I'm going to make a place for you. In my father's house, there are many rooms. See, the great thing about being the, great, the God of the universe is you can just add some more real estate. Anytime that you want to add another person, you can just make some more space because the universe is infinite. And if you go out of the universe into the God realm, well, it's even more infinite. And it's a reminder that there is room for anyone and everyone. But one thing that this carol does speak to, and the reason it speaks to it is it is actually the general thought of most people. So I wouldn't say that the, what I'm about to speak to is actually the carol being wrong. 
in so much as actually our popular understanding of the way things will be at the end times is actually a little bit warped. And so I actually think this carol was just speaking into the general premise of what we have. Because the reality is this is actually only half the story. It's only half the story. Because what we find in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 to 4 is this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. Sorry to those who love boats. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. See, that the picture that Revelation actually paints of where things are going is not that we actually will disappear into heaven and spend eternity in heaven. That is where God is now. And obviously popular culture today is that when we pass away, we go to be with God. And I'm not disputing that for this season. But actually in eternity, this heaven and this earth will pass away. What does that mean? That's another sermon series. But what it makes clear is it's not that we need to escape to heaven, but actually the picture that is painted in Revelation is just as Jesus came as a baby and just as he's going to return, he is actually going to come and bring his dwelling place to be amongst us. And there's a new heaven and there's a new earth and exactly how they play together is going to be lots of fun to discover. I can't wait to see it. But actually you will not spend eternity in heaven. That is not what the Bible teaches. You will spend eternity with God. You will spend eternity in that relationship with him. And again, a whole lot more that I could talk to to this, but one of the common perceptions that we have in our culture today is the idea that we will actually live in heaven for eternity. It's just not what the Bible teaches. That's not meant to be a damn, and that's not meant to be because actually what the Bible teaches is even better than that. It's even greater than that. But this is where, once again, for, for lots of things, you can get caught singing about things, and even some of our worship songs will do this too. And it means that you can miss the fullness of what the Bible has for us. Now, one thing that I want to say as I sort of wrap this towards an end. This carol is a lullaby. It's a, and it's very clearly written as a lullaby. It's meant to be a light and happy song sung to children in particular. 
It was absolutely used in its earliest days to help them get to sleep, to be an encouragement. They don't understand the words when they're that age, but that doesn't mean you can't sing truth over them. But it's a lullaby. Uh, In Matthew chapter 19, verse 13 to 15, we see this. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. And so one of the things that I'd want to say to this as we examine the idea of away in a manger and is it a good carol and is it theologically accurate is just to remind us that a lullaby is not designed to be a theological treatise. It's just not written to try and convey the fullness of theological depth. It's meant to catch up some pictures. It's meant to evoke some emotion. It's meant to draw you into a place where you kind of catch some of those ideas and and get some hope and get some joy. If every lullaby that we are to sing has to go through some really big, deep, thick theological lens to make sure that every last I is dotted and T is crossed, there's probably going to be very few songs that we would sing. So though there are some parts throughout that in and of themselves might lead in a different path, I actually think there's a beauty in a way in a manger. There's a simplicity to it. There's something about it that just draws you in. And so my encouragement is in your search for truth, don't miss the beauty of simplicity. That in your search to get to the truth and to find what is true, don't miss the beauty that sometimes comes from simplicity. That doesn't mean you don't spend any time wrestling with things and making sure that there is truth there and that you don't try and dig beneath the surface. But I think there are also other times that we can be so focused on digging and digging and digging for the theology behind it that we actually miss the wonderful truth that's sitting on the surface. And some of you are probably thinking, I really have never thought about a way in a manger quite this deeply before, and you probably never will again, and that's okay. Because to some degree, going this deep on some of these carols can actually unravel the joy that they can bring. It's meant to be something light and fun and to remind us of Jesus and Christmas. So just a couple of things. Christmas is a reminder of these things. And this is accurate to our song. The God of the universe came down to earth as a child. Remember, nearly all other faiths paint pictures of their God in strength and might. And it's their way or the highway. And you just need to come and find your place beneath the power of this other God. The Christian faith says that God humbled himself to being a child. That the God of the universe took off his crown and came down as a crying baby in a manger. 
And that is significant. This carol reminds us that Jesus had a purpose for coming. And that was to make a way for us to be with him. It reminds us that he was not okay with being separated from mankind. That he wanted to make a way for us to be where he was. And we celebrate that through this song. And then finally, it's because of Christ's life that we can experience a closeness with God and look forward to spending an eternity with him. That because of his life, because he came and we celebrate that at Christmas, we can experience closeness with God. And we can look forward to an eternity, whatever it looks like, but an eternity with him. That's what this carol celebrates. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you came. We thank you that you came in humility. We thank you that you came to give your life to draw us close to you. As we go out this week and as we draw towards Christmas ourselves, Lord, may you continue to remind us of your story. May you help us to remind our, our world of your story, our friends of your story, our loved ones of your story, the true meaning of Christmas. And Lord, may this year be the year that some of those who are most dear to us would either come to you for the first time or would come home to you again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.